Hey guys, welcome back to the Optimal Physique Development Podcast. This is my first live in-person podcast, so at the same time as doing this, we are also on Instagram Live. So thank you for anybody watching along the live, and if we get any relevant questions come in on the live, we're going to cover it on here. But I am sat here in person at my own house with my big mug of Mr. Turmeric Tea with Alex, now let me say this right, Colliari Turner. That's correct. Yep, so do you want to introduce yourself, why we're talking today, and what we're going to cover and stuff yeah. like that? Uh, so I'm a second year PhD student at the University of Brighton, working on a project that's investigating the effects of anabolic steroids on muscle gene expression, epigenetic markers, and their potential influence on the enhancement of muscle memory. Sweet. And we're currently looking to recruit participants for my research, which has been going on for two years now. And we're looking to recruit uh, guys that are currently using anabolic steroids who, when they come to the labs, have just finished a cycle that has lasted at least 20 weeks. Those individuals are then sampled and then they remain off anabolic steroids for 20 weeks. So they'd conduct a PCT and then we'd resample them again to investigate what happens after that anabolic stimulus has been removed. And at the same point, also recruit. Uh, individuals who used anabolic steroids two to four years ago but since then have been drug free and in all cases we're looking for males that are aged 20 to 35 and we can reimburse anyone's travel for no matter where you are in the United Kingdom or even Europe to come down to our laboratories in the University of Brighton uh, to take part in this research. Yes yeah, so you guys probably saw me do a post on this kind of how Alex was recruiting guys under the conditions that you just explained so Alex, for any sort of lay people listening to the reasoning behind these anabolic steroid piece of research, when we look at terms like muscle memory or satellite cell formation, things like that, what are we talking about there? Yeah, so obviously muscle is made up of these cylindrical cells that have contractile proteins inside and once they slide past each other you get movement. Uh, and what our group is particularly interested in is uh, the nuclei that are in, inside the muscle fibres. So muscle fibres um, are very unique cells in the sense that they exist in something called a syncytium, which means that unlike other cells in the body like a liver cell, where there is one nucleus responsible for what goes on inside that cell, muscle fibres actually have thousands of nuclei within one cellular body, within one muscle fibre. And the nucleus of the cell is what is responsible for proteins being made in the cell, which is obviously important for muscle fibers and muscle growth. And uh, this whole project is based on muscle memory and it's all coming down to these nuclei because during muscle hypertrophy and the muscle fiber growing, what you want is muscle protein synthesis to outweigh muscle protein breakdown over a long period of time. And once that happens, muscle mass increases. And the nucleus that inside the muscle fibers are responsible for making these proteins and so you can stimulate those pro, uh, nuclei to make proteins and the muscle fiber will get bigger. The nuclei that are already in there, they can't divide. Uh, they're post-mitotic, which is a fancy way of saying that they can't, they can't divide and you can't get any more. So the only way you can get more nuclei into your muscle fibers is by activating the stem cells inside your muscle fibers which surround the muscle fiber uh, called satellite cells. And when you activate them through either anabolic steroid usage or training, uh, the satellite cell, once it receives that stimulus, will divide in two. One satellite cell will donate its nucleus into the muscle fiber and it will become a myonuclei, it will become a true muscle fiber nuclei, and the other one will remain as a satellite cell so you don't deplete your stem cell pool. And 
through that mechanism the muscle fiber will then grow because there'll be more nuclei inside the fiber more nuclei to make more proteins and therefore the muscle fiber will get bigger um, but what has come to be realized is that uh, the nuclei that accumulate during hypertrophy do not disappear after the muscle fiber has been exposed to an atrophying condition and there was some groundbreaking research that was done by a laboratory in the University of Oslo by uh, the lead researchers uh, Christian Gunderson and he's published various research and particular very famous paper that was done about 2011 where they had mice um, who had uh, uh, their muscle fibers imaged and they stained the muscle fibers for the nuclei and then they uh, watched what happened when they subjected the mice to an atrophying condition so they did three different conditions they cut the nervous supply to the mouse's muscle fiber so it could no longer could contract they also uh, elevated the legs of the mice so that they couldn't walk around so there was again no muscular contraction and they also inhibited nervous contraction with a chemical injection so in all cases the muscle fibers couldn't contract so therefore muscle fiber uh, protein breakdown is going to outweigh synthesis and essentially what they then did was uh, stitch the mouse back up and they left it for a week and then they cut it back open and looked back at that exact same fiber that they were looking at before that had the dye in and then they stitched it back up and did that again another week later and they found that after two weeks of atrophy although the fiber itself shrank in size the nuclei that were there didn't go anywhere so the idea being that the nuclei then have the ability to then be stimulated to then make proteins to then make the fiber grow back to the size that it used to be uh, which is the concept of muscle memory the idea being that you accumulate muscle mass and although you might lose muscle mass you can then regain it at a quicker rate the second time round compared to the first time and that's because the nuclei that you accumulate from muscle hypertrophy don't disappear during atrophying conditions and then it's when it comes around to steroid usage that's interesting because anabolic steroids will bind to the androgen receptor in satellite cells they will cause the satellite cells to divide and to cause nuclei donation into the fiber and so anabolic steroids work by increasing both the nuclear content of the muscle so you get more nuclei so that those nuclei that are new can make more proteins and they'll also stimulate the pre-existing nuclei to make more proteins as well and that's how anabolic steroids increase muscle growth as a molecular mechanism and this same research group Christian Gunderson in 2013 uh, except this time the primary author was Ingrid Egner uh, did pretty famous study that showed that anabolic steroid usage in mice um, enhances uh, muscle memory because what they did was have two groups of female mice one group was given testosterone the other group was given a placebo for two weeks and obviously at the end of that they found out the group that was given the steroids had uh, larger muscle fibers and larger numbers of nuclei inside their muscle fibers they then removed the, the steroid pellet that was incorporated into the mice and left the mice for three months uh, without any movement uh, just sedentary and they found out that the muscle fibers shrank in the group that was exposed to steroids and the control group they also shrank but they actually shrank over this three month period down to the exact same size but the number of nuclei was much higher in the group that previously used steroids and those nuclei didn't disappear and then when they exposed them to a hypertrophic stimulus which in this case was a synergist ablation which is surgery where they cut one muscle off to force the mice to walk around on another muscle and when that happened uh, the group that was previously exposed to anabolic steroid usage over the period of a week 
at a 30% faster rate of muscle growth compared to the control group. And at the end of that two week period, the group that was previously exposed to anabolic steroids actually had a 20% higher cross-sectional area in their muscle fibers compared to the previous group, which therefore begs the question that if someone has used anabolic steroids and they have had an increase in myonuclei numbers, even when they go off anabolic steroids, although they might lose some size, they might always retain these myonuclei that can facilitate a higher rate of muscle growth in the future because their protein synthetic rate might always be higher because there's more nuclei there and definitely their recoverability might always be higher. And that's where our research comes in because for the first time we're going to monitor people who are cycling off anabolic steroids, capture them just at the point where they finish a cycle or close to that point so we can then see how big are their muscle fibres, how many nuclei do they have, how many stem cells do they have and also what's their actual total body muscle mass and then after that point uh, they then go off steroids so there'll be minimal androreceptor binding at that point because the drugs will be clearing from their system and then they return 20 weeks later and then we can see has their nuclei numbers gone down uh, and at the same point we also want to recruit people who took anabolic steroids two to four years ago but since then have been drug free and there has been only a handful of research studies done on current and past anabolic steroid users and um, there's only one study as far as I know that looked at past anabolic steroid users and that was published in 2006. The lead author was Anders Ericsson out of the University of Umea in Sweden and he sampled the vastus lateralis, the, the quad, outer quad sweep and the trapezius muscle of a group of previous anabolic steroid users and essentially what they then investigated uh, was what, how, how high the number of nuclei and in the guys that previously used anabolic steroids in their trapezius muscle actually had higher numbers of nuclei compared to all other groups which suggests indeed that the nuclei that accumulate from, from anabolic steroids and resistance training remain. That was also the same study where they found out that inside the trapezius muscle the number of nuclei that express the androgen receptor is higher in steroid uh, current uh, current steroid users compared to clean guys and non non uh, resistance training individuals which anecdotally leads to the observation that guys that use anabolic steroids have larger tra traps particularly upper traps than people that don't use anabolic steroids and so if we're going to use a muscle that is the best muscle to try and observe uh, both steroid androgen receptor binding and nuclei accumulation, it would be the trapezius muscle, which is why for our research that has been chosen. Um, and so by conducting a muscle biopsy of the trapezius, we will be able to find out what are my nuclei numbers like in current and past anabolic steroid users. Are they indeed elevated in past users? And do they decrease in time with the guys as they go off a cycle? That will help us answer the question of do the nuclei that have accumulated from steroids go down? And at the same time, the unique aspect of this project is that we'll be storing the muscle in genetic preservant. So obviously anabolic steroids bind to the androgen receptor, that goes and then binds to the nucleus, and inside the nucleus it binds to a very specific region of DNA called androgen response elements, and it will then um, result in the creation of uh, RNA, and that RNA uh, eventually gets translated into protein, and so the genetic preservant has the capability to preserve all of the RNA transcripts inside the muscle fiber and also has the ability to preserve uh, the DNA and also the proteins as well. And for the first time as well, we're going to be able to investigate the epigenetic markers inside the DNA of someone that's using steroids because 
when steroids bind to the androgen receptor, they then have to open up certain regions of the DNA to then get access to the DNA to then cause the RNA to be made, which then cause the protein to be made. So it's very interesting to work out exactly what regions of DNA does the androgen receptor bind to. Uh, and what regions of DNA are opened or closed. And we may well find that guys that are using different steroids because they will have different binding affinities to the antigen receptor might actually be subtly different in terms of their binding in the DNA. Um, we assume the transcripts inside the guys that are using anabolic steroids because different anabolic pathways are being activated by the antigen receptor binding at above physiological levels should be different to normal guys. Um, and we might even find the proteins are different because there was one previous study where indeed the proteins were different in guys that use steroids compared to not using steroids. So we're going to learn a lot about how anabolic steroids cause muscle growth in this research, um, which will be interesting for a lot of groups of people. Uh, and, that, and no one's done that yet. So that's that's the unique aspect of the project is definitely the, ge the genetic uh, component. Um, one thing as well was the... Um, that is kind of interesting was last year there was a paper published by a lead author by someone called Rossetti and they chemically inhibited uh, mTOR which is the master regulator of protein synthesis inside the muscle fiber and uh, essentially when you eat protein or when you resistance train uh, mTOR has to be activated to then result in an elevation in protein synthesis and um, if you inhibit mTOR you would assume that no muscle growth would occur but actually in this group they actually gave these mice nandrolone and although they inhibited mTOR in the mice that were given nandrolone they still experienced muscle growth I didn't know that. which was very interesting I'll, I'll, I'll show you the paper yeah. so it uh, essentially that means that the uh, there is a redundant mechanism inside muscle that is capable of causing muscle growth independent of mTOR uh, which anabolic steroids have the ability to activate, which is very interesting just in simply understanding how anabolic steroids uh, cause muscle growth. So do we know the mechanism? So they don't know, no. Yeah. So essentially that paper was interesting in the sense that they didn't realise that if you inhibited mTOR, muscle growth could still occur if you supply anabolic steroids, and that's what happened in the mice situation. So they still experienced a significant amount of limb muscle limb growth, mm. um, even though mTOR was chemically inhibited. That um, makes me think of like... The other side of the equation, when you hear activating AMPK inhibits skeletal muscle hypertrophy, mm -hmm. but then looking at some of the newer metformin research where there's multiple isoforms of AMPK, only some regulate hypertrophy, and metformin isn't activating those specific isoforms. Maybe it could be something down yeah. that road of mTOR. Yeah, so... No one knows the answer to that question. Uh, that's There's definitely labs out there that are trying to answer that question because if there is some sort of mechanism independent of mTOR that causes muscle growth and anabolic steroids activate it, then that's got massive implications for sarcopenic populations because there could be other drugs or pharmaceuticals that could cause muscle growth. Um, and in, in general, just furthers our understanding of muscle hypertrophy, which is interesting in so itself. So if we knew that mechanism, we could maybe isolate it to another form of pharmacology and yeah. not have to use anabolics. Yes. Interesting. Which would then be very interesting, um, because there must be some sort of way which the steroids are causing protein translation to occur mm -hmm. uh, without mTOR being activated, which is very cool. So we may... Well, because if we come across guys that are using stuff, because we're going to guess uh, all the transcripts that are expressed, if there's some transcripts that are upregulated in the current using group, 
They've just recently finished a cycle. There's still going to be androgen receptor binding going on. Uh, if the transcripts are different to the guys that don't use steroids and sedentary controls, we're going to have a whole new picture of what anabolic pathways are upregulated and thereby further enhance our knowledge on muscle growth. Um, so that's the research project. That's what we're doing. It's pretty damn unique. And I, don't, I wasn't aware of any other groups researching anything like this until I started to reach out to people to share my advertisement to try and help in the recruitment process. Um, and there was another study that has basically replicated our study design. Um, and they're analysing their data at the moment. So they're looking at muscle biopsies from the, except the difference is the vastus lateralis of control group, sedentary group, clean lifters and uh, past anabolic steroid users to try and work out what are the myonuclide numbers, what are the fibre areas, stem cell numbers, etc, etc. So before you got into this research, did you have a particular interest in the performance enhancing drug world? Yeah, so, I'm, yeah so I mean, I did a biology degree, I uh, was always very interested in that, and uh, I did a lot of genetics, and um, I did some DNA sequencing in my undergrad project, and in my opinion, the omic technologies, transcriptomics, proteomics, metabolomics, uh, the, is the way molecular biology is moving forward and now because gene sequence DNA sequencing is becoming so much cheaper um, sequencing is the way forward and to have a project that's going to be involved you know, I'm just interested in bodybuilding powerlifting all that stuff that then was involved in the actual transcriptome of actual steroid users I just thought this is really interesting yeah. I wanted to get involved obviously so that's a brilliant comprehensive overview of the research yeah we did just have a question come in yeah just to remind you guys listening we're also on Instagram live so Tom Hames asked, how do you give a mouse placebo? Uh, so in that study with Ingrid Egner, what they did was they uh, make an incision with a blade at the neck of the mice, and then they put a pellet of testosterone pellet in. And so the placebo group has to also have the same surgery, and they just essentially put a sham pellet in. So they put a pellet of the same size and weight, but doesn't contain any active ingredients, and then stitch both groups of mice up and then just leave them. Okay, cool. So looking beyond this research project and what it could possibly lead to as, as a means to an end, we're talking competitive sports like in our context, natural bodybuilding, yes. and whether you can be considered natural or you can use the term clean or drug-free if you have used steroids, let's say, 10 years ago, 15 yes. years ago, whether they can truly claim that and where we draw the line on that. Yes, so the project has a direct implication on muscle memory and particularly on how long people who have used anabolic steroids uh, in the past could potentially be banned from sport. Um, there's two things with that. I so say the first one is in mice, in that mice study, they uh, exposed the mice for two weeks and then they removed anabolic steroids for three months and three months is 10% of the mice's lifespan. And still 10% of the mice's lifespan later, they still experienced a benefit from that drug exposure. So that would that's pretty convincing evidence in mice anyway that previous anabolic steroid use does indeed provide benefits later on. But the question is in human, and that's because the nuclei that accumulate from steroid usage didn't disappear. But what we don't know in humans is do the nuclei that accumulate from steroid usage disappear? And how long do they hang around for? We don't really know that answer. And I was saying to you earlier that there's only been one research study that's looked at muscle fiber nuclei and how old they are. And they only did it on two guys. And they did it on the diaphragm muscle, intercostal muscle. I don't know why they'd pick that muscle. It's a particularly bizarre uh, choice. But they carbon dated the nuclei inside that muscle. 
um, and referenced based on the carbon isotope signature and, and related it back to the times at which nuclear bombs went off and you could work out how old the nuclei are from that with some sophisticated dating techniques and essentially they concluded that the nuclei had an age of 15 years but the people in the study were 30 years old so we don't know, uh, with there only being two males involved in that study is that a true accurate representation of the age of a nuclei because in other cell types in the body nuclei are there for your whole entire life and that's where epigenetics becomes very interesting because life stresses can influence what regions of your DNA are opened or closed and anabolic steroids because they bind to the androgen receptor which binds to the DNA will influence what regions are opened or closed um, and at the same time they cause nuclei numbers to go up and we don't know if those nuclei that were put in there linger for a very long period of time so currently the evidence in mice is that previous steroid usage does indeed benefit you in later life. In humans we don't know the answer to that question, we don't know the time frame. If you ran off the 15 years argument then it could well be 15 years but we're never going to really know unless we did a study where we gave people anabolic steroids, trained them, then took them, you'd actually have to take them off training and off steroids and sort of let them wither away for quite a significant period of time and then put them back on a training stimulus and then see do the guys that previously took stuff actually put muscle on quicker mm -hmm. then you'd conclusively know and even if you are indeed have a high number of nuclei from previous steroid exposure does that actually in the real world benefit you in terms of muscle growth in humans we don't know there might be that you have to have a certain number you might have to have a certain amount and also you're still going to have to put in all the effort into muscle growth anyway for it to actually see that as an actionable outcome and benefit and as this research progresses could we potentially down the line be looking at dose duration and type because if i said i took 100 yes. milligrams of primobolin for four weeks or i took two grams of trembolone big difference for a year what satellite cell accumulation and maybe other mechanisms of those androgens physiologically mm. how are they going to affect me down the line exactly and there's obviously a the dose and duration and drug type is a big component as, as to it. And that was going to be my second point, was the first point is we don't know. It could be 15 years that the nuclei hang around for, but even still, you've still got to do everything you possibly can to action that benefit, to observe the benefit. And the second point is drug detection windows are never going to last 15 years. Mm -hmm. And the best I've seen in the literature is, uh, is two years from nandrolone injections because... It creates a unique metabolite in the urine that can be detected nowadays to the nanogram per deciliter amount. So you could take a shot of nandrolone and actually be um, detectable two years later um, because you're still excreting it in such incredibly small amounts that are still detectable. But all the other drugs uh, are nowhere near as good as that. And so, Is the issue with that though that nandrolone is still an endogenous? Uh, well, yes. So, and people that are in pregnancy for women the numbers can fluctuate a little bit and that can be problematic and so when people are when women are drug tested they sort of have to declare whether or not they're pregnant because that hormone therefore would be elevated compared mm. to being not um, but that seems to be just 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 to, to, to do with the way it's 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 pharmacokinetics of excretion mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that you can detect now to the nanogram amount so let's talk a little bit about a taboo subject that this could possibly leak out onto which is the big topic at the minute transgenderism transgender roles in sports yeah um, and we'll try and apply I would say now from the outset that I am a bit biased on here so I'll let you speak on it mm. because I've posted 
on my social media that people have probably heard here that I'm very much from an evidence I hate using the term evidence based from a like empirical evidence sense I don't believe that transgenderism has a place in competitive sports if we're talking fairness mm. okay so let's but let's talk about the implications that your research could have mm. on transgender roles in sports then mm. because the idea would be that if you're a male and you've been in a high testosterone environment up until the point where you transition and undergo the hormonal therapy to become a female you've experienced the benefits of testosterone in your muscle for all those years your nuclear numbers are going to be more than a woman your satellite cell content is going to be more than a woman at that point. Um, and so what we don't know is after the transition, are your nuclei numbers still elevated? Are your satellite cell numbers still elevated? Uh, are your fibres still large in size? Because uh, we don't know the answer to those questions. However, I would say if someone does undergo the hormone therapy as a man becoming a woman, it's a very not only is it a very stressful experience for them, uh, but also the oestrogen is... is and going into a low testosterone environment as a marriage of those two things is not anabolic and they will lose total body uh, muscle mass uh, but um, still do they retain the nuclei and if you have higher numbers of nuclei in your muscle in theory you're always going to be able to recover faster because your protein synthetic rate will be higher mm-hmm. um, so that's one thing is that even if your total body muscle mass decreases do you retain satellite cell and nuclei numbers and therefore is your muscle still male characteristic in some sense compared to uh, the average of a female population. Right. The second one is what, there's other parts of your physiology that after you transition don't change. So your height, your shoulder girdle size, your um, lung volume, there's differences in uh, hand-eye coordination with males and females and um, there's differences also in uh, muscle fibre types there's differences in <clears throat> uh, what's the other thing I'm trying to think of here um, bone density as well because males have a, a higher testosterone their bone density is more and what we don't know is if someone transitions into becoming a female into that estrogenic environment does their bone density change which then becomes controversial particularly in combat sports because if someone has a higher bone density obviously the density of that limb moving at speed is going to cause greater force and impact compared to a less dense bone uh, and that might be unfair so what needs to really be done is monitor people as they transition through time uh, and see what characteristics uh, are still skewed towards the male spectrum even at the point where they've been on hormonal therapy for 6, 12, 18, 24 months it might be that your bone density never actually goes down that much. It might be that your nuclei numbers never go down. It might be that your fiber type stays similar. It might be obviously your lung volume is never going to change. Your shoulder girdle height is never going to change. Your weight might go down. But then the individual sports have got to weigh up. Is Do those physiological characteristics after the transition provide so much of an advantage that it's unfair on the female group receiving that person? Right, so in the terms of your research then, what we're talking about there is, okay, we have person X, they've grown up as a male in a higher androgen environment. Compared to the average woman. Yeah, Yeah. and then they reach the age of which they're going to 
transition. Transition is the term. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's transition. Um, yeah. Uh, what um, you know, myotropic benefits are they left with even after mm. skewing that androgen mm. to estrogen ratio? Yes. And so your research will be able to give us at least that piece to the puzzle. At least the piece of the puzzle in the nuclei numbers, definitely. Because yeah. if the nuclei numbers, I mean, the reason why we we are using anabolic steroid users in the first place is because this is. Uh, it's an environment where you see large amounts of hypertrophy so it's a good experimental model to observe what happens when this anabolic stimulus is removed in terms of the nuclei decay rates and in the transgender that that will then have a carryover indeed to the anabolic stimulus of the transgender being removed of normal physiological levels of testosterone being cut to well female levels basically mm. um, and what's kind of cool about this is that you're being funded by Wider. Yeah, they're involved. And yeah. that's definitely a step in the yeah in the right direction for what we want to see in terms of drug tested competitions because I'm sure anybody that competes drug free wants to be on an equal playing field. I mean, we know in the bodybuilding world, a lot of the time it's not that any coach knows that because they're getting emails asking how to pass drug tests. Mm. The the further forward we can step with research like yours. Mm and the greater detection of anabolics we have or you know oh I used this pro hormone five years ago that I bought from Holland and Barra yeah. or whatever whatever other <laughs> bullshit you know um, that will be a write off which truly would be a fair ground yeah yeah at least within gender specific yeah. types it then becomes it becomes obviously difficult, difficult to uh, to catch people who use stuff a very long time ago mm-hmm. But it, this this may have influence to provide more evidence that the band length for anabolic steroid usage should be lengthened. Do you think it would ever um, get to the point that we can do such small, like skeletal muscle biopsies that a competitor could have to donate one? Yeah, so that's a very, very interesting point, actually. Um, because the guy that was involved in the research in 2006, Anders Ericsson, where they biopsied previous anabolic steroid users, the lead there's a paper that's available online by Christopher Malm, who was also involved in that research, and they found out there were 80 different proteins in the muscle of guys that previously used steroids compared to the guys that didn't. Wow. Um, and so if you could, in theory, get access to that muscle tissue, and then you might be able to see which population of proteins does that muscle tissue fall under, closer to the previous group or closer to the non-users. Um, and there are techniques where you can extract very, very small amounts of muscle tissue with a microbiopsy needle. However, I doubt that would ever be applied in drug-tested sport because of the ethics of taking someone's actual muscle tissue. Uh, as Obviously, at the moment, it's only blood and urine. But um, it's still interesting to note. Um, and that might be another advantage of being retained through time. Um, and the other advantage might be the epigenetic advantage of androgen receptor binding to your DNA opens up these regions for anabolism and then those regions might not close and might mean you always have a high propensity for anabolism in that muscle and that might be the case with transgender individuals is their muscle because it's had such a higher amount of androgen receptor testosterone bound androgen receptor binding in that muscle there's going to be regions of their DNA which probably remain open and even when they transition past that point they might still remain open um, even on the other side of like how this could benefit drug free athletes we're thinking how can this benefit enhanced athletes as well I mean the common question that everyone gets is like okay I just want to run one cycle yeah 
Yeah, and yeah. everyone's going, no, it's a terrible idea. Okay, now, if we remove the possible HP, HPG axes, dysfunction, uh, you know, anything that may leave you hypogonadal or the health marker effects, I say your lip is dropping and your kidney values and lip, uh, liver values going off. If we could say, okay, yeah, you probably could do one blast, come off, if you could recover hormonal function, mm. you might have a myotropic benefit for the rest of your life. You may, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, especially if you put on a serious amount of mass, mm -hmm. and in you have trained hard enough, eaten enough, and taken enough stuff that you get nuclei donation from the drugs and the training. Then those extra nuclei, based on what we know so far, the best guess is they don't go anywhere. That may well benefit you in the future. So I'm kind of thinking about more benefits to enhanced athletes that your research could lead on to now. Yeah. So maybe by looking at those specific fiber types, or in the future, what drugs do what in terms of satellite cells? Yeah, because we will, yes, I mean, if we come across guys, they're all going to be, this, this is an issue with the project in itself, is that we're not able to give people anabolic steroids, which would be amazing, because that's very controlled, but we're going to come across guys that are, uh, we've already had some people that are on oral-only cycles, and we're going to have some guys that are on injectable-only, test-only, guys that are stacking test, uh, you know, nandrolone and other things and orals and all of those drugs are going to bind differently to the androgen receptor and so once they bound to the androgen receptor, got into the nucleus of the muscle, opened up the DNA and bound to the DNA and then caused transcription of these RNA transcripts which then get translated into protein. Because the androgen receptor is interacting with the drugs differently, we can assume that actually there could be a different transcriptome response to the drugs which would be really, really interesting, just as a basic level of how do anabolic steroids enhance muscle growth, especially if we get to capture these guys pretty much soon after they finish their cycle, because I mean, they could come to the lab and they could have done their last injection the day before, as long as they then say, right, I'm now going off, and I'm gonna be off for 20 weeks, I'm gonna do a PCT, and we need that because we want the androgen receptor binding to dissipate and to go down through time. So we then have a comparison point within the same person. Because straight after you finished a cycle when those androgens are right there, we'd get a snapshot of all these transcripts being expressed of these anabolic pathways. And 20 weeks later, when those androgens have dissipated from the system, the receptors, they're no longer bound to the receptor, the receptor is disassociated from its binding points. We then get a whole different set of transcripts being expressed within the same person. Or we might find that actually they're still being retained somehow, or maybe not. And we'll just learn a lot more. And yet we might see differences in drugs. So you mentioned PCT for anybody that might enrol. Yes. Do they have to do a drug-based PCT or can they just drop the If they're just going off cold turkey and if they, they decide to want to do that themselves, that's their choice. Okay. We don't have an influence on or encourage people to do anything. It's just that we want to, you to finish the cycle and then sample you 20 weeks later where you haven't taken any more anabolics because we don't want any more androgen receptor binding because mm -hmm. that will uh, be a confounding variable in the results. Okay, sweet. Uh, because, I mean, obviously, the study the study is limited in some regards because we have a, it's very, you're never going to get the ethical approval to give people a lot of drugs, a high-dose drugs, so that's basically out the window. So it's got to be an observational study. So we've got to just observe people in their natural habitat, I guess you could say, of what they're doing but we're specifically looking for people who are going to cycle off to monitor them through time. And as, as well as a bodybuilder, that'd be interesting to know because you could come into the lab, you've just finished a cycle, uh, say say you were bulking, um, your muscle mass should, if it's the bulk's been successful, be at its highest. Um, 
will be at a high point. Uh, your androgen receptor binding will be at a high point. Uh, myonuclide numbers should be at a high point, and then you're going to go off the drugs. You can then see how much muscle mass do you retain because we will measure your muscle mass. Uh, and then you'll find out 20 weeks later how much did you retain when you went off cycle, which would just be cool to know. I suppose the problems come that you don't have control over their caloric intake or training or their resistance nothing. training. No, and then that's then an issue with the study, which I, I anticipate is a scientific critique to happen as soon as it's published is, well, you, it was this was observational, and so, for example, you could imagine that there's two groups of, I mean, this is an extreme example, but you have two guys that have just finished a cycle that was exactly the same. Both say they have the same muscle mass, but one guy goes off, they both go, it would make it extreme, they both go off cold turkey. One guy is really diligent on his training, his nutrition, his sleep, maintains and does everything he possibly can to try and keep every gram of that muscle he has, and the other guy just goes totally AWOL, doesn't train, doesn't eat, doesn't do anything, and loses a lot of muscle mass. Um, we want to know do the myonuclide numbers hang around uh, and it might be in the guy that experiences the atrophying condition they don't hang around but in the guy that maintains his muscle mass and very diligent they hang around because he's doing all that training so they don't have an opportunity to disappear if that's what they do as a mechanism um, and because most of the guys we're going to be recruiting are probably going to be quite diligent uh, we might see that myonuclide numbers stay elevated but that's actually because they were just diligent in their training and nutrition afterwards so that is a, that is a potential limitation of the study Are you doing any kind of like questionnaire? So we'd, yeah, we're, we're, we're working out everybody when they come in what's their training like, what do they lift, what are their numbers like we get a muscle mass measurement when they come back it's then, right, what have you done for the past 20 weeks then have you been diligent, what's your training been, what are your numbers like now and uh, things along those lines um, but um, Christian Gunderson when he talks about the muscle memory mechanism of hypertrophy causing nuclei to accumulate and then being retained even when you lose muscle mass so that you can then regrow muscle mass quicker a second time round actually has an evolutionary basis behind it because if food was available, available on a seasonal basis mm -hmm. you could imagine in the summer that food was plentiful you were building shelters, you were as a caveman putting on some size mm -hmm. and then food becomes scarce in the winter you're not as active you're hiber you know, a bit more hibernation mode uh, you're going to lose muscle mass but then it would benefit you in the springtime to then put that weight on quicker than the first time around you ever put it on in the first place because it would enable you to get back to a stronger point faster so as an evolutionary mechanism it would make sense that the nuclei inside muscle fibres are protected for muscle fibre atrophy so even if the muscle fibre shrinks in size because the protein content is going down the nuclei that are in there remain to enable you to then get that protein content to go back up as quickly as possible. Because um, we know that satellite cells can uh, disappear from atrophy, uh, we know that other nuclei inside the fibre, not inside the actual fibre that surround it, so the satellite cells, uh, white blood cell nuclei can go down and nuclei that are involved in blood capillaries can go down. But the true myonuclus itself doesn't seem to disappear, which then makes sense on an evolutionary scale. Um, so although ours is an observational study we're doing the best we possibly can because I mean this research is difficult and it's unlikely something like this is going to be done in a while um, and this will be the, as I said the first opportunity that we can do to look at genetic response to the drugs um, which is interesting in itself uh, which I mean in an ideal world I'd love to do the this is like sort of the base level entry you can do ethically but what I'd really like to do would be a dose administration study where you'd recruit guys give them this, everyone the same cycle or a placebo, everyone is put on basically the same training program, 
you see the genetic response to the drugs and the training. Uh, take them off training, take them off drugs and tell the guys to be disciplined that they don't do anything for like four months and then bring them back to training uh, and then see who puts on the most muscle mass. The guys that were previously used steroids or the guys that didn't and then you'd really know that question of have you got to be a lifetime natural to be able to compete in uh, drug-free sport and be to be fair or not. Right, excellent. And do you think we'll ever get there? Uh, oof, I don't know. I think it would be incredibly difficult to get that ethically approved. Yeah. And I think even if you did, it would then come with all other problems along with it. Like the cycle you'd give the guys would probably be minimal. Uh, it would definitely just be test only. It might. Uh, I mean, you see research where they, 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 the most they've given is six hundred milligrams a week. I don't even think it would be that high. Um, and obviously, you then got to find people that are available to then. To then do the study and the money and the costing, that would be that would be absolutely incredible if that ever happened. It probably wouldn't get funding for the simple fact that there's no real medical benefit. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the benefit of this is muscle memory as a mechanism. Yeah, is beneficial for elderly populations. Elderly populations yeah. because sarcopenia, in terms of muscle research, is the biggest money draw because elderly and populations are on the increase. Obviously, as we're all living longer, and so we need to come up with ways to protect this aging population from losing muscle mass because as you become frail and you lose muscle mass and come old you fall over get a hip fracture you become a burden on the national health surface and you also lose your physical independency um, have to be cared by other people can't look after yourself which is not only slightly demoralizing but is costly so if you can come up with methods of sustaining muscle mass into old age that's brilliant well we're slotting into the TRT market now yeah right? so in talking about big jumps forward in endocrinology research over the past few decades the benefits of testosterone replacement therapy for hypogonadal elderly men is mm. is massive mm -hmm. talking about bone mineralization even cv protective to a degree better lipid health quality of life sexual function and i suppose this could be a case for okay just another muscle memory is up. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and the thumbs up as well would be to to resistance train to as many people as possible late in life. So essentially, the conclusion would be if muscle memory is real, everyone should resistance train uh, when they're younger. That would be the benefit and would enable you to try and maintain as much muscle mass as you come into elderly age and therefore don't become as frail and therefore are not a burden on the National Health Service with what happens if you fall over and uh, are no longer physically independent. Perfect. Um, I think we've covered quite a lot of areas of this, or at least what's at the front of my brain. Is there anything you want to specifically talk about? No, I'd just say if you're interested in taking part, so we're looking for four groups, males aged 20 to 35, sedentary controls, don't lift any weights, Guys who are non-anabolic steroid users who resistance train for at least eight hours a week. And then guys who are anabolic steroid users that have been on a cycle for at least 20 weeks who then will come to the laboratories to be sampled and then who will remain off anabolic steroids for a further 20 weeks and then be resampled. And then a group of males who used anabolic steroids two to four years ago but since then have been drug-free. That's uh, the groups that we're looking for. We can reimburse your travel from wherever you are in the United Kingdom, mileage, train, including one night's accommodation in Eastbourne. And uh, we can also potentially look into your flights from Europe. Uh, 
and you'd be required to come to our labs in Eastbourne BN27SN for roughly three to four hours and what we do is take your blood, urine and saliva and we would then measure your muscle mass with a bod pod a bio research grade bioimpedance scale and research grade skinfold calipers so you get pretty damn accurate readings of your muscle mass and the university usually charges well over £100 for someone to have a bod pod reading so that's just good for you to know and then we conduct the muscle biopsy of the trapezius muscle uh, and then you'd be on your way um, and that, that's everything that happened. We actually have our next sampling dates are on Saturday the 13th, Sunday the 14th and Monday the 15th of April um, but we will continue sampling throughout the duration of 2019. We will have dates in June, um, July, uh, September, October as well. Um, so if you're interested, please do get in touch. I'm sure Joe will put my email in the show notes. Yeah, so everything will be in the show notes that you could possibly imagine to get hold of Alex because I'd love to see this research be pushed forward. Just remember everybody listening that is an enhanced athlete and also maybe a drug-free athlete that, that this kind of research is what we need to put our time and effort into supporting for us to see our sport helped in terms of both sides it's going to help both sides of the coin here for us to progress in both our knowledge of the mechanisms by which anabolic steroids work and also increase our knowledge and awareness of how they could possibly negatively affect the competitive space so please 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 do get involved and, and share this research as much as you can it's a very unique project um i don't really think something like this is going to happen again in the near future particularly storing the samples in genetic preservant and then sequencing them because that's very very expensive uh, so this is this is very unique. Um, I have uh, Joe's previously shared a Facebook post that I've made on this, but if you just search in Facebook Alex KT Muscle Memory, you'll find a public post I've made that can be easily shared. You'll find further details of the logistics of the study and how we can get you involved on there. Uh, I have an in Instagram Alex underscore K underscore T. I only have one post on there, made it specifically to so people can easily find details about this project. Um, and then my email is the best way to get me, but I've got a really long name, so I'll let Joe put that in the show notes. But just email me, I'll get back to you and we can have a conversation. We'll have a phone call, we'll work out if we can get you involved. Um, Mike Isretel shared it on his Facebook page as well. So has Eric Helms, uh, Greg Knuckles on the Stronger by Science page, James Krieger. And because all of those guys, and I've spoken to both Greg Knuckles and Eric Helms in person, and they realise that stuff like this doesn't happen very often. And Joe obviously realises that as well, because it's worth to try and get people involved. So even if you don't want to take part, I would just greatly appreciate it if you shared this with people who you think might be interested, so that I can help to find more participants, because time's limited. The ethical approval of the study is on the is ends on the 31st of December 2019. So the aim is to try and get as many people through our doors sampled by that point. If needed, we can extend it to into 2020, but time is obviously always limited in research, so we'd like to get as many people done before the end of this year. Uh, so Alex KT, Muscle Memory in Facebook, or Alex underscore K underscore T on Instagram, and you'll find the details there. Look into the show notes for my email. Send me an email and we'll have a conversation. Um, and yeah, thank you, Joe, for the opportunity. Lovely, no, thank you very much for, for coming down and visiting me. And thank you very much yeah, for, no, really, for coming on the podcast. really man. appreciate it. And thank you for having me. Lovely. All right, guys. Well, please do check out the show notes below. If you're looking at this as a social media post, please do just search through the post. Check out our sponsors that keep this podcast alive. Please go and buy loads of stuff from them and use our codes. And um, all of Alex's details are going to be in whatever box is below whatever you're listening to so 
Thank you very much for listening, guys. I'll catch you very soon. Thank you.